Well, let's say a prayer before we begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's see how good people's memories are. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in the day of battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by divine power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We're really here to, that last part, who seek the ruin of souls. Okay? I don't know if you realize this, but you have enemies, eternal enemies. You were born into this struggle between good and evil. And evil does not want to lose. And he would very much like to throw everything and the kitchen sink at you. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, one of my personal beliefs is as Catholics and people of faith from different backgrounds, we get a little bit of Christian training from Sunday school, from our parents, from going to service. It's kind of like that old connect the dots. And every once in a while, a person needs to connect all the dots and you stand back and say, oh, so that's what that is. Many of us who come from Christian backgrounds have a lot of the dots, but nobody has connected them very well for us. So we don't understand, okay, so why do we need exorcists? How is it that people get possessed? What is this spiritual warfare about? In the beginning, the scriptures tell us God creates. So in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So, from what we understand from Christian teaching for 2,000 years, and actually goes back to Judeo times, God created in an instant the heavenly court. All the angels, he disclosed to them his plan. Yet at some point in time in the future, God would become incarnate. He would make these other beings from clay for the salvation of humankind. Lucifer, which means the light bearer, who was the greatest of all the angels, decided, wait, 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 wait. You're going to become like your creation? If you're gonna become like anything, you should become like an angel. We're more like you than these clay dolls are. So there was this great jealousy that how is it that God is going to become human and not an angel? And part of that, revealing that to Lucifer and the angels, there was this one piece that they really struggled with, and that is when God becomes man, the man's mother will become queen of heaven one day. Because in the ancient world, if you became king, whoever your mama is automatically becomes queen, okay? That's part of the deal, okay? So if you rise to the ranks and you become king one day, well, you know, not too long ago we had, what, the queen mum 
in England lived to be almost 100. It's just normal that the son kind of turns to mom and, mom, what do you want? You know, um, in the 300s, Constantine, what happens to his mom? She becomes queen overnight. Mary's role as queen, Satan couldn't handle. He said, no, no. You know, you becoming human, okay, that's a little hard to take. You really should become an angel. But that we would have to reverence, respect this woman that comes, what, queen of heaven? Oh, no, we're not going to do that. And so there's this war that breaks out then in heaven between God and the angels. Let's say the good angels and the negative angels. And eventually here, God will cast out the angels that have gone bad. That's what a demon is, an angel gone bad. No longer wants to serve God, no longer wants to be part of the divine plan. Well, he sends them to earth, the huge angel, the dragon, and the ancient serpents who is called the devil and Satan who decided who deceived the whole world, are thrown down to earth. Its angels were thrown down with them. Well, who's living on earth, my friends? It's us. How many of you know somebody that's not over a relationship? Okay? And they broke up with so-and-so, but they're so not over it that they poison any future relationships over there. Okay? They just can't go their own way and be happy. So it's like, that person can't be happy without me, so no matter who they're dating, somehow I'm going to mess with them. All their places in heaven that the angels had in the heavenly court remained vacant when the devils fell. Scripture tells us about a third of them fell. Here's the thing. It's a one-way trip. They had perfect knowledge when they made that decision. There's no way for them to go and say, God, I'm sorry. You know, I wasn't thinking well that day. It was really kind of a bad decision. You know, I had too many brewskis or something, you know. And uh, I shouldn't have done that. Angels, unlike human beings, do not have imperfect judgment. God laid out exactly what would happen, and they chose it. When they got cast out of heaven, it's a one-way trip. There's no way back. But the thing that really gets them is that you and I, who choose to live as God's children and who strive to spend eternity with God, will be where they cannot return. And it's bad enough that they can't go back, but that you can be where an angel was. She's like, he's not taking my chair, okay? If I got to mess with this guy so he doesn't go to heaven, hey, what else am I got to do, okay? I've been cast out of there. Got nothing to do for a few millennia until the end of time comes. And you going up there? What? Who are you? I was an angel. And you? You're going to go take that place? No, no, no. I'm going to mess with you because I don't want any of those human beings up here. If we can't go back, then nobody should be able to go there. It's like the boyfriend or girlfriend that doesn't give up. I think we have a saying, you know, it's like the, the ex from hell. 
right? Like the ex, you know, you know you're not going to get back with them, but they manage to get involved in, break up, cause all kinds of consternation because they cannot handle you being happy. When they left God's presence, everything good went. They have no more patience, no more love, no more kindness. All those are attributes of God. All they have is hate, revenge, jealousy. That's what they live off of. And they look for people to mess with. Okay. This is really important. If you don't understand this, a big part of Christianity honestly does not make sense. I was out of the seminary for like 10 years, a priest, and I listened to a professor teach this. I thought, you know, they should have told us this in the seminary. It would have made many things much more understandable. So you and I, on this journey of life, there are things that assist us as Christian people. What assists you most spiritually in your growth? Hands, somebody want to? Yes, ma'am. Prayer, that's a good one. Next. Adoration, all right. Next. Study the word, scripture. Somebody else? The rosary, okay. Sacraments, penance, mass. I heard it, I'm looking for a face that went with it. Okay, love. So we have these building blocks that our families, our churches, our different religious traditions have taught us. Anything else we want to throw up there? In the back. Suffering. Okay, my ears are not so good. Next. Okay. Oh, just looking for a face with the words, okay? Couple more. Fasting. Yeah, definitely not the fasting crowd right here. <laughs> Actually, most of the people in the room under that category. We'll start the fast tomorrow, okay? Yes, sir. Faith and reason. We have a lot of other ones we could add in this, okay? Here's the thing that our society has kind of lost, I'd say, in the last 20 or 30 years that I've noticed, and that is we used to live in a Christian culture, or at least a God-fearing culture, okay? I'm not 60 yet, okay? But I remember a time where you would be lucky to find a gas station open on a Sunday, Stores were not open on Sundays, okay? You did not go shopping on Sundays, all right? There was no Sunday football, you know, which is another god of its own color and shape. We will talk about that some other time, okay? And so what has happened? Many of these building blocks, we're not seeing them there in the next generations, the understanding of God, sacredness of life, respecting one another. See, this whole system as Christians was designed to propel us in a life toward God. And even if you weren't very devout in the day, just about everybody went to church, to church somewhere. 
Everybody was not offended that if you sent them a Christmas card, season greetings did not quite catch on yet at that point in time. So society was helpful in helping people really focus about their destiny with God. Well, evil is a counterfeiter. Evil does not create. God creates. Evil can subvert what God creates, but it can't make things. Okay? So just like we have this uh, direction one way, there is evil prayer. You know, there is a satanic Bible. I should explain a little bit. My day job is a prison chaplain. Okay? I work in prison. Been there for eight years. Before the eight years there, I worked at the state hospital that was brand new that uh, treated rapists and child abusers. I've picked the easy job for the last 10 years, okay? I keep asking God, so there wasn't anything else exactly on the list of things to do? You had to give me the, the really super stuff? Okay. So Satan loves to subvert what God has in place. So there's a static Bible. I actually had a prisoner ask me for one one day. They have worship services. You don't want to hear what goes on in there because it's pretty disgusting. Okay? They don't celebrate the sacrament. They actually pray uh, backwards. They'll say the Mass backwards. It's called the Black Mass. They actually have the crucifix inverted. They will uh, defecate and urinate during their services. It is pretty disgusting kind of thing. But people get involved in this. So they have, yeah, satanic study. They have demons. I'm not sure what their equivalent to the rosary is. If you look very carefully on some rosaries that are printed that come out of China, um, they're a little odd. They look like a rosary. They've got, you know, all the beads in the right place. But if you look at the cross very carefully, it's not a cross we recognize. And there seems to be someone on the cross, but there is this serpent that circles around the cross. And at the points where the hands would be and the head would be, there's a shining, looks like a sun. It's a very unusual thing. Don't know exactly where that's come from, but it's not coming from Catholics in their tradition. They don't believe in forgiveness, so they don't need penance. They commit themselves to following the evil one. And if they leave the coven or following him, there's very serious penalties and sometimes even possession. They will dedicate their children and their offsprings down many generations if they ever turn against the evil one, that they would be possessed. So like we would dedicate a child in God's church to God, they dedicate their children to the evil one. The problem is that people are getting involved in this stuff now, not knowing it. Don't know how many of you would know this, but if you ever watched Harry Potter, any of the curses, incantations they take, those are not made up. They are true curses. Kind of startling to know that, you know? 
and people get involved now in typing up and Googling curses because they broke up with somebody and they really are mad or angry, so why don't we call down vengeance on them? There's a price you pay when you call a curse into play, a price that the person who speaks the curse has to pay. And they pay it to the evil one. Because really, when you call a curse into play, what you're asking is, Satan, send me a demon to do something to that person. We have had people who have been Satanists and very much involved in satanic covens who have converted and come out of that and, and told exorcists the story behind all that. And we have found that, yeah, when people curse people, the one who solicits the curse the one who procures the curse, yeah, they have to pay a price to that. A spiritual price, not a financial price, but a spiritual price on them. So why do I point this out? Because in the old days, most people, because of society, because of our folks, because of families, uh, were pretty much kind of in a stream, kind of headed upwardly. We felt bad if we said something wrong. If someone told, told you to go to confession, you didn't take it like a slap on the face. Said, yeah, I need to do that. Now people say, what? Do what? Say, I'm sorry, why? No guilt, no sense of remorse, right? Well, now people are really hovering much more on the center line here. And they get pulled away pretty easily. We have had people who were involved in heavy metal and in drug lords, okay, who do a lot of drug trade. You know, they pay Satanists to come in and curse the drugs to make them more addictive spiritually. Okay? So a person's not just breaking an addiction of a chemical. They're also a spiritual bond evil bond that's placed on them. I was uh, at the International Exorcist Conference in Rome about three years ago, and one of the people that spoke had been very involved in heavy metal. And he said, you know, our songs were not selling at all. And then we paid this person to come in and curse our music, and the music started selling like hotcakes. Same music. We have to be careful where we're treading because he'd love to pull us over the line. There's a, a saying in Italian, we don't have it in English, and the saying basically is, if you start slicing the salami, very soon the salami is all gone. No matter how thin you slice it, if you just keep slicing it, eventually it's all gone. The devil has your whole life to get you. He'd like to just take you a slice at a time. He's watching us. You know, he assigns a demon to watch us. Just like God assigned an angel to be with us, the devil assigns a demon to come and, you know, tempt us from time to time, find out, oh, okay, so this is his thing, you know, a little bit too many beers on tap, and, you know, keep a good eye on us. So slowly, he'd like to take us. Some people, oh yeah, so I quit going to Mass. You know the number one reason why people of faith quit going to church? See if you get this. Number one reason. 
they move. They move. They used to be going to St. blah, 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 blah. They knew Father. They knew the nuns. They knew everybody there. They felt very comfortable. They got married. They moved whatever. Went to St. Bartholomew now. They go to the church the first time. They don't know anybody. Don't know the priest. They don't feel comfortable. Now they're busy moving in and doing things, getting kids into school, into their job. It kind of goes by a week, a month. You know, goes by a couple of months. They get out of the routine they quit going. The bishops of the United States spent a lot of money with many studies trying to figure out why is it they drop out. Number one reason, they move. And after they move, they do not reestablish themselves in a new community. And they don't take it to know, you know, it's probably going to take me two, three months to feel comfortable in this new church. It's like that uncomfortable period in the new gym or the new job, you know. You kind of just have to take it for a couple of months. and know, You know, until I feel comfortable here, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's like the new pair of shoes, okay? For the first few weeks, I say I shouldn't have bought them. I should take them back. I don't like that. They hurt. And then after they get broken, I kind of like them then. Okay? We lose more Catholics when they move. So when you have new people into your neighborhood who move in, you should say hello. You should welcome them. Say, where do you go to church? Let me point you to where it is, you know, Presbyterian, Baptist, whatever it is. Encourage them, help them. Otherwise, we lose them. They become more of a target. Because what's strengthening them? Because the evil one certainly keeps coming at us, no? The ordinary activity of the devil is temptation. We are all experts in this category, okay? We could tell many stories to young people about temptation and the struggles we have had. That is normal for everybody, okay? Essentially nothing more than an attraction to commit sin. It gets a little bit uh, more on the following page. Oppression, also called physical attack. Oppression often takes the form of mysterious blows raining down on an individual or scratches inexplicably materializing on their body. Demons take a little direct attack. I've had people tell me, you know, I was walking down the stairs and just felt like something pushed me. Ever had that experience? Obsession, also called demonic temptation. It involves an intense and persistent attack of the mind of the victim. People who go to naughty places on the internet, okay? That is one of the ramifications of that. Oppression. The devil works the internet really well. You know about a third of the sites on the internet are pornographic? A third. He's got a lot of business going there, okay? And it's helping people go the wrong direction. And I do believe very strongly that I've had cases where people have had serious uh, pornographic addictions that have had to pray over them, and it was significantly relieved. I was speaking to a person not long ago who had struggled for like 30 years, and finally one day in prayer God said to them, just pray for those images, so every time there was a beautiful woman that popped into mind, he, saw, he started praying for them, remembering, you know, she's someone's daughter, someone's wife, someone's sister, 
maybe someone's mom. And he said when he would begin to pray, when he would have those images flash into his mind, it was like something amazing would happen and he would not sense that kind of addiction that he just needed to continue to absorb more of those images into their mind. I really encourage people to do that. Those of you who have kids, if you don't have filters on your webs and on your computers, very dangerous place, because things pop up. Even if you don't go there, there's just one click away. You don't think he's working this and taking advantage of this? You know, there's a scripture passage. It's one of my favorite ones. Jesus says, we need to be as innocent as doves and as clever as serpents, okay? We Christian people work really hard at being innocent. We need to up our game at being clever. We really need to up our game at being clever. I hate to tell you because I work in a prison, I'm much more suspicious about many things because of that, okay? And so, you know, he takes advantage of us, our weaknesses. He watches us, you know? It's like in the garden. What's he do? He takes this apple, shines it up, and goes to Adam. says, just like a bite, you could be like God. Here's the thing. It's part truth. You be like God. He'll know the difference between good and evil. I could live my whole life and not know that and probably would have been really, really happy not to know that. Okay, so a little bit of truth and a lot of lie. I work with a Jewish rabbi, and Jewish rabbi said to me, he said, you know, part truth is a whole lie. He only has to lie about 10, 15% to make the whole thing upside down crazy. Only has to lie about the fact that, oh, by the way, Adam, you know, in the fine print, you're going to lose heaven over an apple. I really want to talk to Adam about that. Okay? He had all the trees, all the vegetation, all the animals, just one tree to stay away from. Just one tree, everything. What's the deal here? You know? At least for a few generations, we could stay away from the tree. Not so good. He's very clever about that. Why does this get us to the point of the next one? Possession. Possession, it appears that someone has taken over their will or the person is under the control of an evil spirit. As they get more and more involved in evil things, Satan slowly invites them to be close to him. It's actually the absolute opposite of a saint. What happens with the saint? They allow God to fill them with his love and kindness and mercy to a point that, yeah, they're human, but there's something amazing about them. Like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, right? Like John Paul II. Evil presents himself to a person and says, you know, I can make your life better. Free will. He's got to get you to consent, though. You know, I'll take care of that boyfriend you really don't like, you know. Just come and say, you know, read some tarot cards. Give this lady some money to cast some spells. We'll take care of him. You'll be more committed to me. And now I'll have a claim on you. 
We begin a relationship. Really, that's what possession is. It's a relationship where over time, the person acquiesces more of themselves because evil keeps presenting different things. Don't you want this? Don't you want this? Don't you want this? So where does exorcism come in? People get to a point where they realize uh, the wheels have come off the roller coaster, and unless they pull the brake hard, it's not going well for them. Usually the people that live around them say, something weird is going on with them. They're not the same person. We have seen some not normal things take place. They won't go to church anymore. They have taken down all their religious stuff from the room. They will not let us pray with them. They say it hurts when they hear us pray with them. So those of Christian Catholic bent then go to the priest. We have not taught this for probably about 50, 60 years in the seminary. In the 60s, right about the time of Vatican II, um, there was this great understanding in the world that psychology would answer all these things. That actually all these things in the scripture where Jesus cast out evil spirits was really, you know, psychosis and other things that they did not understand. Like the Son of God doesn't know a sick person from a possessed person. And so they really quit teaching this. We did not in any way in the seminary study evil. How to combat it, how to help you with that. Very sad to say. So there has been kind of a resurgence in the last mm, 10, 15 years by a number of priests, by some of the books that have come out. Uh, Amorth from Rome, the big exorcist from Rome, started teaching about it. Uh, exorcist tells his tale, and all of a sudden it was just like, whoosh. And the exorcist movie, you know, the confessional lines, the week the exorcist movie came out, the priests tell me who are still alive were immense because people realized they were messing with stuff they shouldn't be messing with. Now, the average person who lives somewhat of a Christian life doesn't really need to worry about this. You're not really a good target for the evil one. It's going to be more work for him because he's got to turn you first from God. He's got to get you involved in other things. But the people who don't go, then they start shopping for crystals, for wands for kids. Why would you buy a wand for a kid? Okay? Like, what? I'm going to conjure some power? Well, from a Christian understanding, there's only one source of power. If it's not coming from him, it's got to come from him. And there's a lot of connections and a lot of, shall we say, a payback that's going to happen. But why would you want a child to even imagine that they have some supernatural authority, that they would call on some spirit to help them? Because who do you think is going to answer the telephone if some kid says, well, you know, if somebody would just teach me, you know, how to uh, curse that kid in class who drives me crazy, I'd be happy with that. You don't think he's going to send somebody to help that kid do that? We've had people get all mixed up because they looked up curses on the internet and started using them, not knowing that there's repercussions back to them for casting a curse. You cannot play with evil 
and not get dirty and not be affected by it, okay? But our culture doesn't know that, all right? We were raised in Catholic culture, said don't do that, don't go there, say your prayers, and God will take care of him. And he will. If you stay close to God, God and his angels are going to keep you out of there, if you're listening, okay? But if we start going to places we shouldn't be going, and to internet sites we should not be going to, we're going to need a confession. You know, the exorcists in Europe, there's an international exorcism association meets every year. And I was there. And we had this big old discussion. There's about 250 exorcists from many parts of the world. And the number one thing they kept saying is if people would just go to confession, most of all this stuff would get taken care of and they wouldn't need an exorcism. Because confession is actually an exorcism. Because what is the priest doing? The priest is casting out in God's name the effects of sin in your life, that you freely chose, and you freely come to God and say, you know, God, I really messed up. I shouldn't have drank that much, and after I drank that much, I said some things that, you know, I should have kept my mouth shut. I need to ask your forgiveness for that. How many of you heard the story about St. Teresa, the little flower, where people would smell roses if they would pray to her, and they would sometimes have the scent of roses, and it was a sign for them that St. Teresa was going to answer their prayer. How many of you have ever heard that story? Okay. You know, and this is Satanists tell this directly, that when people are involved in serious sin, they smell spiritually. And demons sense that smell, that odor. Just like we say in Catholicism, there's an odor of sanctification. That as people get holier and holier, there's like an aura, there's a presence that they give up. Satanists tell us, because they talk to demons a lot, that the demons can tell in a room a person whose soul is seriously affected by mortal sin. They hover around them because they smell good to them. They want to hang with them because they know, oh, I don't need to do a lot more. He's already in our camp. I just to give more opportunities to sin, and I'll lead them farther down the road toward us. One of the most powerful things you can do, or if you know somebody that you really believe may seriously have some form of possession, oppression, is help them go make a good confession. Because what are they doing? They're saying to God, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. Would you lift this from me? Every exorcist that's ever done always begins with the person who's going to be prayed over. You go to confession. There's going to be a priest right in the next room. You go to confession. After you go to confession, you come into the room and we will pray over you. Because when we choose to do sin, if we don't ask God to forgive us, it's still with us. We chose it. Free will. as part of the free will problem. If we choose good, the good accrues to us. If we choose bad, evil accrues to us. So how do we go and say, okay, I want to get rid of this. I've helped a number of people just get better spiritually by just telling them, go to confession. I had a telephone call. I'm speaking at Anaheim in two days from a lady down here, some, a flyer with my name on it. So she calls me and tells me, I've been doing astral projection. 
Okay, so this is where you will your body to go somewhere and speak to someone. Totally forbidden from a Christian standpoint, okay? And she goes, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but now I got these beings talking to me and doing things to me, and they're really uh, bothering me now. And I said, you need to go to confession. She keeps on going. So third time, you need to go to confession. She goes, I don't need a punishment. Time out. Time out. You know, when we do bad things, the way that God clears them out from a Christian Catholic understanding is by asking forgiveness. When we freely go and stick our fingers and our feet and sometimes jump in to evil's layer, that's how God cleans us up. But nobody can force people to say, I'm sorry, God, I shouldn't have done this. I kind of knew better. So she got real mad at me and hung up the phone. She goes, I don't need to be punished. Just like, you know, I go to confession a couple times a month, you know. The Pope goes weekly. Mother Teresa told her nuns that if they wanted to be serious about religious life, they needed to go to confession regularly. Because what? Because evil's always coming at us even if it's just little stuff. And so how do we clean that? How do we get rid of that so that they don't have a hold on us by going and asking God's forgiveness? I had an inmate that I worked with for a while who had been in prison a while. He'd been in prison more than he'd been out of prison. And after I'd been there and he'd been coming to Mass for a while, and he said, Father, I have a real hard time sleeping. I, I can't sleep. I get these really bad dreams. They... My sleep has not been good for years. And I said, well, when did it happen? That's always the loaded question. When did it start? Because usually something significant happened right about that time. He got real quiet, and he says, well, I never told anybody, but, you know, I've tried to commit suicide on three different occasions. Mm. Have you ever confessed that? Mortal sin, killing somebody else, killing yourself, is still very grave. So... Who would want you to do that? Oh, the evil one, absolutely destroy part of God's creation, like number one on his list. So I said, well, let's go to confession over this. I'll give you some prayers to say, and you come back. A few weeks later, he came back and says, I don't know what you did, but it's a lot better. And I said, you cannot have serious sin on your soul and confess everything else and leave that unresolved. Whenever people call me and they say, well, this is going on or this is going on, I always say to them, when's the last time you went to confession? I say, you find a good, patient priest and you make a really good confession and then you call me and we'll talk. Because if it's spiritual in nature, there should be an improvement or the person is going into the confessional and all of a sudden feels something, almost a force pushing them against that. That's the number one thing for me when people call, and I get these calls from all over. A lot of them from the L.A. area, okay? <laughs> a lot more people here than... I've got a little county, okay? My church has like 400 people in the church I live at besides the prison. And I always say to people, you go to confession, then you tell me, did it affect you? Is it better? Is it worse? Are you going to Mass? Are you praying? Well, it's harder to pray now. It's a good sign it's spiritual. Or if you do all these things, well, nothing's changed, then mm, 
maybe psychological. We might have to go down that avenue, and I may have to refer you to somebody with psychological expertise to really look at, you know, maybe this is not spiritual at all, but a psychological issue. Often we have people that have both that are going on at the same time. So if you take nothing else from this, don't be so afraid of this one. Live your life. Live what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Praying, the sacraments, adoration, works of mercy. That'll help you grow in your faith. It's like working out. We use the muscles, they get stronger. We don't use the muscles, they get weaker. Use your spiritual muscles. Do your different practices of faith and devotion. You'll find yourself much stronger. He won't want to mess with you. He may mess with your friends and family, and when you see it, you'll know, okay, I know what this is. So do that. Help people return to the practice of their faith. And if it's been a while, you know, good Catholics, whatever denomination, you know within 20 miles of where you live who you would send somebody to to talk to as a priest or not. Right? And you know who you'd say, I wouldn't go over there, okay? He's not going to be real helpful. Maybe you talk to sister in that parish. She'll be a little bit more helpful. But if you've got somebody that you really consider has spiritual issues, send them to somebody that will sit and listen to them. You know, there's usually only one or two exorcists in a diocese. The way it should work is that people of faith who have someone that they know or suspect is having serious issues would go to their pastor and say, we know this person, we've known them for a long time. Something is going on here that is not just psychological with them. How do we help them? The pastor, who is probably going to know nothing on the topic, says, uh, let me call the bishop's office to say, what do I do next? Because it's impossible for one exorcist, let's say in Orange, it has how many millions of people to get telephone calls from all over the Diocese of Orange. So usually the bishop says, no, this is going to be confidential. We're not going to give your name out because your answering machine is going to blow up. The calls will be unending once your name gets out there. So we're going to have to investigate each situation. And those that we believe to be uh, true, then we need to send them off to the exorcist and his group that prays with the person to begin to discern, okay, is this truly supernatural or not? I want to give you guys time for some questions or clarification if some of the stuff did not make sense to you. Yes, ma'am? A year of mercy? Okay. John Paul II started in preparation for 2000, um, dedicating a year for different things, religious life, family. So Pope Francis, starting well, December 8th, is the year of mercy. There'll be different things that come out with that. The press is making this big thing that the Pope now is allowing priests to absolve uh, people who commit abortions, men or women, because if you pay for it or you give advice for it, you're actually on the hook for it too, okay? In the United States, most bishops had already given the average priest authority to do that. The way the Code of Canon Law read, if you committed murder, 
okay, particularly of a child in the womb, you had to go ask the bishop permission, can I absolve this person for this? Because it was considered a reserved sin. It was reserved for the bishop to approve. There are some sins reserved only to the pope. If you desecrate the Blessed Sacrament, it's reserved to the pope to forgive. Okay? Most bishops in the United States for the last 30, 40 years, automatically, when you became a priest and you were working in his diocese, he gives you this whole long list of things you can do. You can hear confessions, you can marry, you can bury, you can blah, 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 blah. And one of the things was always on the list is, yes, you can absolve people who have committed abortions or been involved in abortions. It makes the press, because the press doesn't understand us, and it makes it like a big thing, like all of a sudden, this has been going on. The only place it really matters is in some diocese where the bishop hasn't done that. I don't know of any place in the United States that the bishop hasn't automatically given his priest the authority to forgive uh, people who have committed abortions, the faculties, but because he's pope, when he says that, it covers the whole world. So it, the priest doesn't have to ask his bishop for permission for that for the year of mercy. Yes, sir, and then over here. Okay. We had this little discussion. There is a, a school that's started a couple years ago. It's actually finishing its first class of uh, teaching priests to be exorcists. And uh, it's a two-year course. It's uh, four sessions. Each session is 10 days. So it's six months you go for 10 days, then you're off for six months. It takes two years. What they're saying is that basically about 1968 or so, Confessions kind of started dropping off big time. What the people in the church who were involved in exorcism or spiritual deliverance saw, a huge swing of people being possessed, oppressed, and in need of prayer and deliverance. If you don't think you've committed sin, don't you think that's a great way for the evil one just to lure you in? I've got a, a person over here, sir, and then I'll be right with you. That's, that's just perfect for him. Nothing is sin anymore. It may be bad or wrong, or I made a bad decision. When's the last time you heard somebody said, you know, that was sinful, I shouldn't have done that. That I have offended God, and that I need to make right by God. We've lost that in our society, and that just makes it so much easier for the evil. And say, so, well, you know, just keep on doing it. You just keep on slicing that, you know, that salami. Keep being more and more involved in, in spiritual stuff that offends God, and that just makes an open door more and more for evil. Say, you're playing my song. Let's do the dance, okay? This dance will last the rest of our lives and in turn to eternity. You know, the accommodations are not really good. You think it's hot here? Ain't nothing like down there, okay? It's, it's very dangerous that way. Yes, sir. Okay. The guardian angels are given to us to protect us and to assist us in our life. We do not call on them enough. You know, it's his job to help you make it to life everlasting. When's the last time you called on, they're not male or female, but him or her, however you want to designate them, being politically correct or not, 
When's the last time you asked him to help you on this journey to God? To help you stay away from the things that are your greatest temptations. You don't think he knows? He's been walking with you since before you were born. You don't think he sees the things that you struggle with? When's the last time you said, you know, I really have a problem with this smoking thing or this other thing or this other thing. I really need somebody to help me overcome this. I had a friend who went to visit, uh, uh, he was in Germany, went to visit a convent of nuns. It was the convent that Edith Stein was in, the Jewish convert to Catholicism that got killed in the gas chambers. And he was there and he was talking to Mother Superior about this group. There was about 20 nuns there and he said, you got any other Edith Steins in here? He goes, yeah, got a couple of pretty holy ladies. And the nun, Mother Superior, just turned and just said a phrase that probably I'll never forget. He told me, he said, everybody's as holy as they want to be. How holy you want to be? A little bit of holy? A lot of bit of holy? Over the top holy? How holy do you want to be? How far up the chart do you want to be? I was telling this to the inmates uh, just last Sunday. When you meet God to God, when you meet God face to face, who do you want to be standing in front of him? Are you there right now? Are you close on the journey? So that in 30, 40, 50 years, if he calls you, you're going to be okay to be, yeah, God, I'm really happy with who I am and who I present to you and my life and the things that I have done in my life, the life that you gave me. We don't think about that. We think too much about when I retire, what my retirement is going to be. What age am I going to retire? Where am I going to vacation? When's the last time somebody asked you, yeah, but if God calls you now, are you happy with who you're going to present to him face to face? Or we got some work to do on that? You teach high school students. They're they're an easier crowd than my crowd. I mean, they're a harder crowd than my crowd. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole power thing is really kind of interesting. It's just kind of like, hasn't God given you what you need to live this life? What? He, he put you on this earth, gave you a brain, gave you abilities, and didn't give you enough tools in the thing, so you need spiritual power, read minds, you know, something amazing. You know, that's not like the saints ever said, God, you know, I got short-sheeted on the spiritual power stuff. You know, I want to renegotiate this thing. Um, I find that very fascinating. It's just kind of, so what are you missing that you need that? Maybe it's a whole inadequacy thing. I don't know. You know, I never, you know, I thought it'd be nice to be invisible sometimes. You know, I grew up in a big family, six kids. Sometimes I just wanted to phase out, like not be there in the midst of all the ruckus and everything, you know, that can't find me. So we should talk afterwards. I find that a very interesting comment. Yes, sir. There are priests who pray over individuals. The area, this all falls under the big category of healing and deliverance. 
Like, you know, some people go to the doctor and they want like surgery first. And the doctor says, you know, why don't we try medication, maybe a little exercise, exercise a little diet thing, brain surgery. No, we don't usually start with that one, okay? I have a lot of people want to jump to exorcism and just like, no, I'm not taking the scalpel out first, okay? Let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about living a good Christian life. His question was about priests who pray over people, the main categories healing and deliverance people pray over them you have often priests who travel through the area who do healing workshops prayer and deliverance workshops any priest can do that all right most of them have not been trained don't know how to do that exorcism is reserved by the bishop the bishop is your exorcist okay when he was laid hands on, you know, and they made him a bishop, that's one of the things he got with that, all right? Since about the 300s, the Roman church has reserved that to bishops, and bishops only can say, okay, guy, you're my priest, I need an exorcist in this area, you can do them, but I approve every case and every situation. But regularly just praying over people, like some priests do, and there's certain healing and deliverance prayers that priests can say over people. There are people, prayer teams, who work with them. Because sometimes if you're praying over a person and they really are possessed, they can get rather violent. It's not like the devil likes it, okay? And sometimes you have to hold them down so they don't hurt themselves and hurt anybody else. So when I pray with people, I have a prayer team. On my prayer team, I have like three psychologists, uh, an MD who's not always there, and five or six men and women involved in that. Because you never know when you start praying what happens. Sometimes we start praying, person does not tweak, does not move, nothing happens. Sometimes, oh yeah, we need to hold them down because they're becoming very violent. They're, they're flopping around like a fish and uh, so that they don't hurt them and they don't hurt me. Sometimes they would really like to take the exorcist out. Okay? Exorcism is a Greek word that basically boils out to casting out, the translation, okay? Before 1962, they would call them simple exorcisms. And then you have the solemn rite of exorcism. Solemn rite of exorcism is the official church prayers that it uses for exorcism. The Catholic bishops in the United States finally approved a translation into English. It is the last book, the last ritual, since Vatican II that's being translated from Latin into English, okay? We are the only English-speaking country that has done it, okay? The bishops have approved it. They've sent it to Rome. Rome is waiting to go, bing, we approve, and send it back. Because right now the only approved texts are either in Latin or Spanish, French, Portuguese, because the bishops have approved the translation, so when the priest prays that, it has the whole church standing behind it saying, yes, we're praying for that person. The church is very concerned that somebody prays against the person possessed because the devil is not going to take it well. And he's going to come back at the person who prays against them. Say, oh, you're kicking sand in my face? 
Oh, well, so it's between you and me? I said, no, no, no. It's between you and the Roman Catholic Church and the ministry of Jesus Christ against you, evil one. I'm just a servant of God, okay? It's not my words that make this happen. It's that Jesus sent us out to go out and cast out evil spirits. And the Roman Church and its authority tells me that I can use this in this situation. So it's not just me. It's the difference between simple exorcism. We don't like to use the word because it gets people all thinking about the exorcist movie and spinning heads and spitting green stuff, all right? But in, that's how they would characterize it. It's exorcism and then the solemn rite of exorcism. Yes, sir, and here comes the priest. I'm probably going to get pulled the plug on. Okay, the guardian angels. You know there are prayers to the guardian angel? Um, I definitely would put up an image. You know, one of the things we had in Catholicism in the 60s, you could not walk into a Catholic's home and not see something religious every time you entered a room. Part of that was to remind you that you're on this journey. This is just a passing world. I had a farmer tell me a number of years ago when I worked in a little parish, he said, Father, I finally figured it out. And I said, what did you figure out? We're just passing through. Yeah, we're just passing through onto our final destination. And while we're passing through, how are we treating one another? Good, bad, or taking advantage? You know, I hate to tell you, but even to trump the guardian angel, Mary's the one that crushes the head of the serpent in the scriptures, okay? He hates no one the way he hates her, all right? Because as he was very obstinate and proud, as an archangel, here you have Mary. Great humility. Do whatever God wants me to do. He hates that. Absolutely hates that. Now, you can ask Mary to guide you, to protect you. There are prayers that people actually say where it says, okay, Mary, would you put me under your mantle? Protect me from the evil one. Every exorcist I have known has says he has a very deep and profound relationship to the mother of God. Because she is the one that crushes the head of the serpent, okay? No one knows the enemy the way she does, okay? And Jesus gave her to the disciples to be their mother. And the church from early on, it says, you know, she's the mother of the church. So yeah, call on your guardian angel, but call on Big Mama too. Okay, she got so much clout, people don't understand how much clout mama has. All right, and I mean that very sincerely. Okay, so last question, right here in the front, sir. Okay, and an exorcism really begins by a litany of the saints. In the litany of the saints, demons have their nemesis, which are some of the saints. So you're playing the litany of the saints. You add in everybody's patron saints, you know, baptismal, confirmation. And every once in a while, you get a bing, boom. I had this lady that every time I'd say St. Michael, she would get. And so I was in a mischievous mood. And so I said to her, what's the matter? Everybody likes St. Michael. And the demon says, no, no, we don't like him. Okay? So there are certain saints that are known to affect demons very specially. We've uh, 
when we do the Litany of the Saints, we often include Mary, but we include her as Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Fatima. Every once in a while, we'll get the demon to react to her under one title, but not under the other one. So then I go Google, okay, so I want, you know, a special devotion, to, let's do, you know, uh, a prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. A person would react very strongly to Mary under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I pulled up the text from uh, all the words that Juan Diego said that Mary said to him. And I just read them and watched the person like you were pouring acid on them. Just like, no, don't say that, don't say that. They react to that. For different reasons, you know, the demons... I'm pretty sure that after, you know, the 30% got cast down, uh, the team in heaven said, okay, you know, demon number 47, he's yours. And 57, you know, he's yours. And 499, now he's yours, okay? So whenever he's terrorizing people, you're the one supposed to keep an eye on this one. Does that make sense? You have a lot of power yourself in asking God to break any evil attachments in your life. A few months back, I want to say about a year ago, something happened at the prison with the inmates, like it happens almost every week. And I got really angry because something happened. And I remember, like 20 minutes after that, driving home, I was still really angry. I was kind of surprised. I go, you know, this isn't this bad. Why am I like seething? I'm like wanting to spit bullets. And I thought to myself, you know, I was pretty angry. Maybe an evil spirit has attached itself to me. And so driving down the road, I just said, you know, in the name of Jesus, if there's an evil spirit in this anger, let it be gone. And all of a sudden, my anger level went from this to this. You know, we have a custom of blessing food. I would bless your food, especially strange places, especially from vendors you do not know. You know, in the old world, people used to get poisoned that way, get taken out that way, that you bless your food because you don't know where it goes from, what kind of MSG and all this other stuff we can't pronounce is in there. What's that going to hurt? That we take some ownership in our spiritual life and that we own the fact that I'm going to become as holy as I want to become. And how many of those bricks, how many of those different spiritual practices are you going to use to help you grow in faith? Or are you just going to cruise? If you're just going to cruise, I don't think you're going to get in God's presence and be as holy as you want to be. You know, most of the saints on their deathbed have said, you know, I'm not as holy as I should have been. There was more that I could do. Start looking at your life now and say, you know, when God calls me home, how holy do you want to be? Just a little bit or a lot. Because God's not going to ask you what's in your, you know, your retirement portfolio or what kind of car you drove or any of that other stuff. He's going to ask you, how holy did you want to be? How filled with my grace in your life did you want to be? How did you want to help others along this journey? That's our challenge. The evil one would love to pull us the other way. Take your spiritual life seriously. You will become as holy as you want to be. Pay attention where you spend your time on TV, internet, all those other things. 
I hope you have some religious apps in there, some religious music. You're watching some things that feed your soul to grow. Okay? It's just like a muscle. If we don't feed it, how's it going to get stronger? It, ma it makes us an easier target for him. I would plan one day to see you all in God's kingdom. And I would hope that this talk helps you a little bit about understanding the struggle that you and I are going to have to live through until God calls us home. And that you use the tools that the church gives you and that the Lord has given you from the very beginning to assist you on this journey. Have a good evening and let Father say closing prayer.